0: Well, as Kat said, um, my name's Ed, good morning, Uh, wonderful to be here and to be continuing our series in the book of Matthew, where we're taking small steps right now through the longest speech which Jesus uh, said, as as we have recorded at least. Now today we're going to go to the theatre, not the King's Theatre, not Churchill, not Lyceum, not the Festival Theatre, not the Playhouse and not even the school play, but a theatre going on around the world, all the time, throughout history, and probably even, I'm sad to say, in this room. Now, what is the point in people acting in the theatre? Well, it's to be seen, isn't it? And that's why if you end up in a seat like this, in the restricted view seats, which I have often been in, um, you'll end up being frustrated uh, when when you can't see the actors right in front of you. Or maybe you're in the cinema, and someone is standing up in front of you all the time, or they've got a big, big hair, uh, and you just can't see the screen properly. It's frustrating, because you can't see the actors. Or a big beard, actually, is probably more common in this room, I think. (laughs) The actors are there to be seen. And when you can see them better, you probably appreciate their acting all the more. Now, as I said, we're about to continue reading from Jesus' longest recorded speech, where he gives strong warnings to his followers about not allowing their theatre to be not just entertainment, but the basis of our lives. Jesus has been explaining his blueprints for his kingdom of transformed hearts, laying out what we should be aiming to live like if we have accepted him as our saviour and king. But he anticipates a problem. When any person is given a list of things which it might look like to please God, we immediately turn it into a checklist of external actions that we must do. And so Jesus preempts this in the next part of his speech, and Joe is very kindly going to come up and read for us and we're, the passage we're focusing on this week, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And it's going to be on the screens, but do find it in the books, uh, in, in the, the Bibles around you, the Blue Bibles. I think it was page 1075 from memory, but... 970. 970, completely wrong. Okay, 970. Thanks, Matt. Um, so uh, do find that. We will be nipping around a little bit around that section, so it would be helpful to have it open For you. Thanks. Reading from verse 1 Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Thank you, Joe. Now, we start this chapter with a general warning in verse 1, and then three specific warnings flowing from this relating to giving, prayer, and fasting. Today, we're going to focus on the first of those three specifics. But I think it's probably time to, uh, g- good to spend a moment just looking at all three as a group, given they come together. Now, they're all forms of, of religious devotion that relate to having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it seems that Jesus recognizes There is a particular danger in these types of activities. Theater. Being seen by an audience for the reward of their praise. Have a look with me at verse 1. This is the overarching principle, the headline idea that Jesus is getting at before he goes on to the three examples. So this is verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, let's see how this plays out in, in verse 2. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And finally, verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now this idea of being seen by an audience for the reward of their praise runs through the whole section. And that word that's used repeatedly to be seen in the original language is actually where we get our word for theatre from. And Jesus' concern is that each of our hearts has a risk what we do out of apparent devotion to him is actually theatrical, simply to be seen by others. And he has another word for these people, repeated in each of these verses too, hypocrites. And the original word for that meant a theatrical actor, one who performs as someone they are not in order to be seen by others. And it's an excellent description, isn't it, for the supposed religious, religious devotion of these people. Entertaining, acting is entertaining in the right setting, but deadly if it underpins someone's entire life. Hypocritical religion is not part of Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. And later in this book, Jesus describes these people, these hypocrites, as whitewashed tombs, like those, those apples. I don't know you ever bought, bought, go to a certain budget supermarket which I, I've often got uh, fruit from and you get this bag of apples and you get home, you unload them onto the counter and you get this little stench of, of rotting and you know actually that is giving away what's really going on behind the scenes, inside the apple. There's an apple in the, in the bunch which is rotting, decaying inside. That's just like those whitewashed tombs, pretty to look at on the outside, but inside lies only death and decay. So Jesus is eager to ensure those in his kingdom are not simply ticking off a list of external religious actions to play the part. Instead, he wants his followers to do these things out of a transformed heart. Now, if that flow from the transformed heart isn't there, then it's simply hypocritical acting, and the heart is just a rotting mess. So he's keen to make sure the things we should do as a result of having a relationship with Jesus are done for the right audience and for the right reward. So we're going to focus on those two aspects, the audience and reward, as we think about this first example he gives, giving to the needy. So first, the audience and reward of the hypocrites. So imagine the scene. You're a first century Jew, just quietly heading towards synagogue on the Sabbath. You approach the entrance, and then suddenly... All attention is on the donor, the trumpet sound. People are amazed. Look at their generosity. Isn't this incredible? How ridiculous that would be. When the point of the gift is presumably the meeting of the need in love. And that's exactly the point that Jesus is making. People who show off their giving to be praised by others have received their reward in full. They're hypocrites. Actors who claim to have one motive, but actually in their hearts, have another. They claim to be generous because of their devotion to God, but in fact they've lost sight of him and are generous in order to be praised by others, and they draw attention to it with trumpets. Now, I think any act of self-sacrifice can easily become an act of self-righteousness whenever we lose sight of God. When we don't look up, the only ways to look are sideways and inwards. And then we enter that messy place of comparing the amount that we give to other people. And so either we parade in self-righteousness. I'm sorry, guys, I'm pointing at you. I know I asked you to do that. But if we parade, parade like the trumpeters in, in self-righteousness and think we're amazing, or maybe we wallow in apparent inferiority, as presumably those watching did. But the good news of the Christian message is that we do not, do not need to prove ourselves to God or to anyone else, in order to be welcomed into his family. In a world which so often tells us that our value is in our usefulness to society, in our wealth, in our job prospects, our relationships, the Christian message is a radical reorientation of how people are valued, freeing us from the horizontal comparisons and shame that we all so easily fall into. And instead, pointing our gaze to God, the Heavenly Father, of all who believe in Jesus. But even those uh, here in this room or watching online who believe this in our heads may struggle to live in light of it. That's probably why there's a recent poll I found uh, where 1 in 10, you see the one, 1 in 10 highlighted on the left, the hypocritical, 1 in 10 non-Christians describe the Christian they know as hypocritical. I would actually suggest that's probably an under- understatement of the truth if my heart is anything to go by. I distinctly remember being in a different church's gathering a few years ago when I was a student. And there was a little bag being passed around and uh, it was an opportunity to give to the church, to the needs of the church. Now, that's common practice in many churches, not actually in Hope City where we're more electronic, but um, many churches do this and that's fine. Now, I remember the feelings as I reached out my hand and put money into the bag. I wonder who's seen me do this. I hope X saw me do that. Isn't it great that I am willing to give to the church? It's a shame more students like me don't give. Now, I'm, actually, I'm very embarrassed to share those talks because they're shameful. They're not how I should be giving. But my aim in doing that is to show that that attitude is very common. And Jesus' warning here is completely relevant to me and I think to all of us. I was giving to meet a need, but I had lost sight of the God who I was trying to please by doing it. The God who knows my heart, and instead, was, instead of that, I was focusing on what other people thought of me, even what I thought of myself. Now, I didn't pull out a trumpet, but I desired the reward of praise from others instead of doing it to honor God, flowing from a transformed heart. The point of my gift should have been to meet the need that I was giving towards, but the reward that I sought was to be honoured by others. Now those words, to be honoured by others, get to the heart of the hypocrite's problem. Their audience is other people, and the sought-after reward is their praise. Wrong audience, wrong reward. But there's a tension here, isn't there? If you've been following with us through the the other parts of uh, the Sermon on the Mount... Back in chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus told us to let others see our good deeds there, but here he seems to be telling us to give in secret. So is he just contradicting himself? Or well, no, I don't think he is. Jesus again highlights something in the language that he uses here, repeating one word in both this verse and the one back in chapter 5. The word is doxazo, which means to glorify. The word to glorify is used in both. But it's also in chapter 6 here, and it's translated in our Bibles as to be honoured or glorified by others. See how the person receiving glory has swapped between these two. From the father in chapter 5, that's the right way, to the hypocrite in chapter 6. One writer sums this tension up really well. Jesus is speaking against different sins. It is our human cowardice which made him say, let your light shine before others, and our human vanity which made him tell us to beware of practicing piety before others. Besides, the end of both instructions of Jesus is the same, namely the glory of God. Why are we to keep our piety secret? It is in order that we may be given, glory may be given to God. Rather than others, why are we to let our light shine and do good works in the open? It is that we may glorify our heavenly Father. Our heart motive drives our audience and the reward that we seek. And Jesus says that when our motive in giving is to be seen by the audience for the reward of their praise, that praise is just the reward we will receive, but nothing more. That's it, paid in full. It's like an invoice that has been paid completely. There's nothing more to receive because we've got the payment we were seeking. Other people's applause. So what's the better way? What is the blueprint that Jesus sets out for how we can give in his kingdom of transformed hearts? The audience and reward of the transformed heart. Well, we've seen the hypocritical actor. Their motive in giving is just to be seen by an audience for the reward of their praise. So who should our audience be and what is the reward that we should be seeking? Well, let's look again at Jesus' instructions in verses 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's have a look at the different possible audiences. We've already talked about avoiding the audience of other people and looking to God alone. But did you spot the third audience? in this passage? Ourselves. Look at me at verse 3. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So even when someone takes deliberate steps to avoid seeking the praise of other people and what they're doing, they can still give an audience to themselves. Maybe this looks like self-congratulation or self-righteously, thinking we're better than other people. Now, clearly, our left hand and our right hand are part of us. And in some way, we will know what we are doing. And that's, that's not, I don't think, Jesus' point. The theme throughout the section that we're looking at is the heart, the motivation, the will. And here again, I think the focus is on who we're doing this for. Who is our audience? We're clear it shouldn't be for other people. Now we read it shouldn't even be for the satisfaction of feeling smug or secure, like we've ticked off that, that job to be done. Christian giving is neither for the applause of other people nor for the applause of the left hand on the right. No, it's for God's eyes only, as if we should give and forget in some sense. Now, I don't think this is speaking against prudent financial record-keeping, but the focus comes back to the heart of it. Are we counting up all that giving that we're doing so that we can hold up a nice long list to show ourselves or others, perhaps, that we can feel happy about? That is just as hypocritical as those trumpeters. Instead, he says, we should give in secret, knowing that in doing so, there is still an audience, God who sees what is done in secret. Now, this may seem scary, intrusive, perhaps, but actually, God's ability to see into our hearts, into the deepest secrets of our lives and our motives, is a comforting thing for those genuinely seeking him. The sense here is not that he's making sure we're giving enough money, but is actually a reassuring presence that even if no other person ever knew what we'd given, God in some way rewards it. So then the question is, what is the reward? Well, much ink has been spilled on this, and um, there probably will be different views in the room about what this is. But I, I would say our natural assumption when we hear of a reward is to think of a prize for doing something well. And often that prize is unrelated to the actual activity. So think of a school sports day um, where the fastest athlete gets a silver cup. A bit unrelated, isn't it? Like, why, why a cup? It's not really anything to do with the actual the running. And actually, the idea throughout Matthew, from what I can tell, seems to be when it talks about reward, it's more about the fulfillment of the action itself. So in the example, the fastest athlete's reward for, winning the ra- for, for running and working hard is to win the race. That is the reward in itself. Or think about the couple who love one another very much. Their reward is, is marriage. It, it would be strange if someone got, got married for money. We, we'd probably raise an eyebrow or two at that, wouldn't we? That's not the point. It may, it may be involved in, in what happens. Probably one of them will become richer <laughs> because of it. Um, but the reward of the, of the love itself is Marriage. The natural reward. And so, and also, you can see through Matthew, the idea of reward is what we've been looking at in the last few weeks, interweaved into what we've been seeing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That is the reward of mourning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a, there's a progression, a natural fulfillment of, of the action into the reward. And so, applying this idea to the rewards in the passage, we see that the reward of the hypocrite's performance for other, in front of others is others' applause. And the reward of the Christian giving to meet a need out of love is the fulfillment of that need. Here's that writer again. Here's what he says. When through his gifts the hungry are fed, the, hun- the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. So we see the Christians should have their sight on God as they seek to meet the need and enjoy the reward of that need being met in their giving. So, as we wrap up, what do we do with this? What does giving look like according to Jesus' blueprint? Now, it's worth saying before we get into the specifics, this passage is specifically, I can't say that, specifically, there we go, um, about the practice of giving money to the needy. Now, in the UK, much of this giving to the needy aims to be met and arranged through the UK taxes and the welfare system. It aims to be. But we could definitely apply these principles for giving to other needs as well as to those individuals that we see in need. So, for example, it might be church or different organisations or non-financial gifts uh, to different needs, our skills, our time, our expertise, our energy, etc., all of these are needs which can be met as part of giving. Now, before we draw these principles out, it's, it's important to note Jesus speaks more about money than sex, heaven, or hell. He knows it's a big area of temptation for us. And I've been struck, as I've been studying this passage, of my need to repent of times I've been given, sorry, I've been giving to be seen by others for their praise. Maybe financial, but it also includes many other forms of generosity. Hospitality, companionship, sharing my faith, serving on a team at church. So for me, this looks like praying to my Father in Heaven, asking for forgiveness, and knowing that He has forgiven me freely through Jesus. And also, I can pray for my own heart as I try to follow Jesus' blueprint, knowing that my Heavenly Father sees the desire of my heart to be generous with pure motives, And that he can help me progress and to live like that. Now, if you're someone who isn't yet a follower of Jesus, but sees the hypocrisy in your own heart, like we're all prone to have, why not try speaking to God yourself? He sees in secret. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the motives of your heart. And he can help you to see the bigger picture of how he can transform your heart through Jesus. Speak to a Christian friend or speak to me afterwards. We would love to explain a bit more about that. So let's draw a few principles out for for those of us who would claim to be followers of Jesus. First, Jesus says when, not if. When you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. Generosity to the needy is part of being a Christian because generosity is in the character of God himself as we heard last week, we are gradually growing in the family likeness so we're to become more like Jesus. Now, this is a bigger topic than we have time to do justice to in this talk, but if you want to think more about that, then I would urge you to come along in the evening gatherings. There's a perfect opportunity. We're working through a resource called the, the Generosity Project, which is helping us think through how we can approach generosity as believers for using biblical principles. Um, so do come along. It's not too late to come Uh, we're we're halfway through the course, but it will still be really useful. So come along even tonight if you want to. Secondly, consider your audience. Don't blow your own trumpet. Our audience is to be God alone. We have an audience of one. So this might mean in our giving, we should avoid purposely putting our name on a donation to be recognized by others. Uh, About a year ago, Sarah and I received an anonymous gift from someone, um, obviously, uh, with a simple note. Babies are expensive. Hope this helps. I have no idea who gave it. Uh, It did help. (laughs) Um, I suspect they were avoiding telling us because they weren't looking for praise from us. Having an audience of one might mean giving to a cause or an organization through something like a bank transfer or a standing order to avoid having the opportunity for others to see you put physical money into a pot. It also impacts the way we do things here at Hope City. The leaders of our church never find out our details um, of those those who are giving to avoid any kind of undue, unfair influence or possibility of having that over the leadership. I was once in a church um, in a different country for a fundraising event, and each time someone gave a gift, the amount and the person were announced, and they were called up to the front, and everyone clapped. (laughs) I've got to say, there's there's absolutely no place for that kind of audience in church if we're trying to, trying to live out this blueprint. Thirdly, look to your reward. Enjoy the reward of giving to the needy by seeing that need met. Rejoice in it. Pray about it. Involve yourself in it. That, that's different to self-congratulation. That's not the left hand clapping the right. That's a picture of the joy that our Heavenly Father has when, our needs, when those needs are met. There's a story that Jesus tells later in this Gospel, this account of his life, where three servants are given bags of gold by their master, and those who put it to good use, are, they receive the most wonderful invitation. The master says when he returns, he says, enter into the joy of your master. That master pitched to our Heavenly Father, wanting us to do his will, with the resources he has generously given us. When we in turn are generous like him, he takes great delight in seeing his children act more and more like him. And he invites us to look to that reward. It's what we were singing about earlier, actually, in that that first song. um, Set our eyes on him. That's what we're we're to do as we do these things. Rather than seeking the fleeting pleasure of others in the present. So in our generosity, we are seen by an audience of one, and he rewards us with the joy that he himself experiences as that need is met, partly now, but fully in the future. Now, we're going to have a minute of silence just to reflect on what we've been looking at today. Perhaps this is a time to pray to God, asking for forgiveness for impure motives. Perhaps it's a chance to examine your own motives in your generosity, or maybe a chance to think about where you could start making giving and generosity in general a healthy habit in your own life. So after a minute or so, the band are going to lead us in a song to continue reflecting on this theme. So let's just take a minute to to think in silence.